Hello and welcome to what I believe is episode 80 of the 905er podcast. Difficult to believe that um, we've got there so quickly. Um, and today we're going to be doing our usual Thursday roundup of stories in the 905. Um, and we've got three pretty big stories actually from, from three different areas of the 905. Um, and we're going to start off, Joel, with um, a story that you mentioned, which is Guess what, Hamilton, uh, not Hamilton, I keep on doing that, uh, Holton Catholic District School Board has um, waded into the issue of human rights again. Uh, and uh, yeah, well, you have the update. Oh, yeah, um, so this is kind of fitting off of our, our last episode uh, with uh, Sergi Carr uh, talking about, uh, you know, racism and, and so uh, social equity uh, in Canada. Uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're still talking about the Halton Catholic school board. Uh, and in case somebody is not a longtime listener of this podcast, the, we have talked with the HCDSB and to the HCDSB uh, many times in the past, no, notably uh, about them voting not to raise the, the pride flag uh, for the month of June uh, for pride month. However, uh, this past week on uh, June 15th, uh, at a board meeting, a number of students went before the board uh, to uh, advocate for themselves and for their fellow students to to talk about racism and discrimination that they've experienced within the board. And when it came time to to vote on this motion, uh, it, it's reported that for a number of the trustees uh, decided to do nothing to stall the uh, to, to stall the the meeting and and just you know have no staff report, no nobody investigate, no no anything, just move on and pretend that it doesn't exist. Um, and, and I, I mean, this caught me by surprise. I'm not entirely, I should say it doesn't catch me by surprise, but um, it's disappointing to say the least uh, that this, especially in a month of, of June in light of uh, pride month, as well as, you know, we, we hear the stories of the, the 215 children's unmarked graves uh, being discovered in Kamloops. The, the, the act of Islamophobia in London, that we're not maybe taking a little bit more of an inward look at ourselves uh, to address these these inequities, and maybe to, you know, are are we doing everything we can to make this make this right? Um, I, I w- I'd also want to note that it's not just the Halton Catholic School Board that is under uh, uh, under examination for this. We also have the Ham- the Hamilton public school board uh, was recently in the news um, for a third party investigation. If people remember in Hamilton, uh, a former student trustee, Ahona Medi, uh, brought to brought to everyone's attention accusations of racism at the board level uh, and within the school system. Uh, the HWDSB launched a third party investigation and discovered uh, that it, those accusations were accurate uh that there is a there uh there is a, a culture of racism within the board again nothing is done to address this there's no talk of education there's no talk of accountability of disciplinary actions towards the trustees uh who who were uh uh op- you know in opposition to uh to ahona uh, midi and i mean i i'm not, I, we could go off on on in, into the minutia of, of those reports I don't want to. I, I kind of want to talk about the notion. That there was something that that Sergi Carr uh, brought up in the last episode 
of needing an education system that properly addresses this, that, that properly examines this and educates our students and empowers them to say, no, this is wrong. This is not right. And we need to change. And yet we're stuck with backwards thinking at the institutional level, uh, blocking this. Yeah. We, we, I mean, there's, there's seems to me, and I, I didn't listen to the proceedings of, of the Halton, um, meeting the other day so i can't talk about the specifics of what was going on but uh but what seems to have gone on is, is a kind of a continuation of what's happening before is that when, when students come forward and say you know this is this is a, a problem uh the trustees basically say no there isn't um and not all of them but enough that that there can be no progress uh, on these subjects uh, and it's the same it's the usual uh, four suspects i believe who are who are uh, basically behind this uh, in, in in Hamilton I mean the one trustee in particular uh, Carol Pakin Miller has uh, was was asked to resign by her own colleagues in back in March um, following the um, uh, uh, following the, the the report which 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 singled out multiple trustees but 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 certainly singled her out even more so than the other ones. She didn't bother to turn up at the meeting where it was discussed. Um, she has made numerous or several remarks since that make it quite clear that she does not um, uh, view the report as um, as valid in any way. Um, and she hasn't resigned, won't resign, um, uh, not interested in resigning as, as far as it's clear. Um, and... You know, the, the sad part of this is that the original uh, student trustee who's behind this, uh, Hona Medi, has um, her mother said in, in an article uh, at the weekend, you know, been dealing with uh, serious kind of um, personal repercussions from, from, from having stepped forward. And that, that's just a real tragedy. But it's, it's something that you, that you worry about with these stories that the students are involved in, students who are not... Um, necessarily uh at a point in their lives where they're going to deal with the stress of suddenly being in the public eye uh uh, uh, uh lightly and, and it's worth remembering that, that you know students don't do these things these kind of things lightly um well it, because it's scary you know? <laughs> it, it is but it, you know you have to give credit to them that that and it's something that you and i have, have noticed uh as we've been doing you know 80 80 uh, uh, episodes of this you know, the young people that are out there are, uh, to, to borrow a phrase, mad as hell and not going to take it anymore. Uh, there, there's a there's a big, you know, you want to call it social justice warriors or, or snowflakes or, or whatever have you. It, it doesn't matter. They There are young people out there who are saying, it's not right. I'm not going to lay down and take it because the old the old people in charge say I have say that I have to. It's It's very... Uh, it's very empowering. It's very, it's, I, I, I'm impressed by them that they're not taking it laying down. Uh, it's just, it's frustrating to see these old dinosaur points of view still being taken as gospel and just, you know, especially at the education level to sit there and say, maybe, you know, maybe I have something to learn. Maybe there is something here. And it's, you know, to say, say, to just dismiss everything, oh, you're, you know, we, we, it's going to take too much time to change, or we have a right to to this, or or 
first of all, you're it's a you're a school board trustee. You have no power. You have the power over a small chunk of people, and the the, the only the only thing I can think of that why you would want to hold on to it is you want to make young people think the way that you do, and that's maybe that's more insidious and horrific than you know politician with power. But it's man, I, I suspect there's a whole lot of people with closed minds whose minds closed long ago who are whose egos are somewhat stroked by by positions of elected office however small and however powerless they may be um who are buying a whole load of nonsense that you might be reading in in for instance the national post about council culture and all this right right uh, this this dishwater that is floating around <laughs> um um and are buying that, and are like, I'm not going to have it. And, and meanwhile, there's these children who are dealing with racism at school from fellow students, from teachers. In, you know, I'm not making any specific allegations because I don't know. I'm not the person, but you know, the, trust them because they don't really have a, a huge motivation to make stuff up. Um, you know, and like you said, we, we've mentioned offline, if not uh, while recording, multiple times how some of the most powerful articulate um, uh, statements that we've had on this podcast as we began came from young people who are still students uh, or recently uh, left school um, who are just trying to do something good because they care. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it blows my mind that, that the, you know, you have a right to disagree. Obviously, every trustees are elected; they're elected to have their opinions, but they're also elected to listen. And your first inclination should always be to believe until you have a good reason not to believe. Um, it seems that anything a student says is basically not worth listening to for for too many of these trustees, and that's uh, that's a real problem. And, and it, for me, it calls the entire trustee system into into question it's not you know elected school trustees is not something that the whole world does it's not an integral part of our democracy and i don't see really what these people are bringing to the table right now the, um as a as a parent of a child in the system i sit there and i look and, and wonder, i do ask myself why what is the go- purpose of a school board and really it's more just to make sure that the the money is spent properly like it's it, the job itself is basically a glorified accountant where you sit and you make sure okay the the province hands us a wad of money and we have to make sure okay we're we're putting it into buying new textbooks or buying new science lab equipment or new football equipment if need be or upgrades you know renovations and and retrofits or whatever to existing infrastructure or perhaps you need to go and look where do we build a new school because of increased population, all that stuff. It's not a glamorous and it's not a sexy job. Yet we see time and time again, trustees stepping outside that, that purview and deciding, no, I, I need to, you know, I, the, the opinions that nobody else cares about when I talk about nobody, everybody else ignores me when I, when I want to say these inflammatory things, um, nobody cares about them when I say them, but you know what? Now I could actually, I, I can, I can cause I don't. I, I do find it's in, it's inconsequential, but it's just why? Like why? Why are you going to stir this 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 shit up? You know, the, we go back. I'm thinking back to the pride flag issue. Like 
do you do you think you're going to cause you know all of a sudden everybody's reevaluate? Oh, geez, maybe maybe pride is, isn't worth it. Oh my gosh, I, I've seen the light. No, you just just kicked up a hornet's nest. If you're going to sit there and say when a when a student says you know what I think you said to me or what you've done to me is racist. You know, are you going to say the same? No, it's not. Well, you don't have the right to say that. If they naturally, my your my inclination would be, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that. My apologies. Please accept my forgive. Please accept my apology. I ask for your forgiveness. I was ignorant. You've enlightened me. You move on. And instead, it says, you know, or I I need to make a point out of this. And I'm like, what is your point? The only point that you're making is that you're showing yourselves to be racist and homophobic and bigoted, and it's ugly. And I'm like, why, why do I have to put up with this when all I need you to do is just say, yep, we're going to open up a school over here and I'm going to hire some more textbooks for, uh, for the science department. Yeah. It, 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 this, I mean, I think the mistake is, I mean, if you compare a board of trustees to a board of directors at a company or a nonprofit, so, so, you know, every nonprofit organization have a board of trustees and they, you know, meet every so often and they, they sign off on the, on the accounts and they have, some ultimate authority in that they are there to make sure that the ship is being run properly uh, and that, you know, no one's cooking the books and so on. That's basically what a board of trustees does too. Uh, what, what a board of directors doesn't do is suddenly get involved in, you know, employee dress codes or stuff like that, or, or, you know, moral questions or right. it's they're up in business. That's what the executive director will, will do if they have to do it at all. Um, it, but it's just not. Uh, you know, it's like, what are you doing talking about these things that are none of your business? Now, I mean, if they're being racist. Then, yeah, sure, it is now their business because they brought it upon themselves. But um, you know, in terms of kind of denying that there's racism within schools, I don't see that that's a trustee responsibility. I don't see that they have any qualification to to make a judgment one way or the other. Uh, if the students say there is, then then it should be investigated, and it should be investigated by the by the um, by the director of education uh, and and by the professional staff, uh, not by the damn trustees. Moving on. <laughs> yep. Um, moving on, indeed. And number two on our list is well, there's been a vote today within the last few hours in Hamilton on uh, at at Hamilton Council, although not by the council per se, but by a committee of council on the LRT. Uh, it was a 9-6 vote in favour of uh, moving to uh, draw up a mem- memorandum of understanding with Metrolinks over LRT. So that basically, to translate that into English, is a vote to move forward to the next step, so not a vote against LRT. That's a committee vote. It now has to be approved by the full council. Um, given that it was nine six nine plus six equals fifteen, that indicates to me that that committee has all councillors on it. Um, and I'm not enough an expert of how Hamilton does things to know whether the committees are, you know, a committee of the whole, if you like. Um, but um, that's a positive thing. Um, is is disappointing still that six would still wish to turn down a gift horse of uh, three plus billion dollars. Um, but but uh, still, it, it's hopeful that they will not shoot themselves spectacularly in the foot and just ruin this thing. Well, you know what? Um, we're not. I'm, I'm not popping the champagne just yet. 
uh, on this <laughs> one because it's Hamilton. It's Hamilton City Council. There is still plenty of time to fumble this ball on the five yard line. Uh, you know, it, it's it, it, I, I've, I, there are people who have just pointed out that this is like never in the history of this country has a, a gift of this magnitude been given uh, to a municipality. You know, this like I, I really don't think that those six counselor, counselors understand just how much of a gift this this funding is. I'm glad the nine counselors who voted in favor are uh, are pushing forward with it. Uh, I think it, you know we've we've discussed it many times. We think the LRT is a good project to have in uh, in Hamilton for a variety of reasons, which we will not get into. If you want, if you want to listen to that, listen to the back catalog. Uh, Boost up our numbers that way, um, but the the you know the the just the the dispirited the, what it got me with the whole argument was just the dispiriting nature of this debate in itself, right? Was that you know we're still hearing these old old con, uh, arguments being made. We're still hearing these convoluted you know oh you know the, the we don't know the full cost of the operating costs. Well, you're you're just you're you're spitballing. You don't you don't know anything. You're just looking for anything. Well, I mean, th through their own intransigence, they've actually managed to force a spectacular deal out of the federal or provincial governments. Right. Um, and that the federal government is so desperate for Hamilton to catch a break, they're willing to basically say, here, the only, ha you know, I think, I can't remember if I mentioned this during an interview earlier or before, but you know, if you think of it like a, being given a, a luxury car, here's a luxury car. All you've got to pay for is the petrol, is the gasoline, I should say, because I actually live in Canada for the last 20 years. <laughs> um, all you've got to pay is put the fuel in the thing and run it. And you're like, oh, I don't want to pay for the, I don't want to pay for the gas. Um, you know, take your Rolls Royce back or take your Tesla back or take your Mercedes right. back. Um, it's crazy, uh, um, but that's the level of the argument w we've been having. Well, um, we, we've seen like every every argument. You know, oh, we don't know the cost, and and we don't know. You know, wh why should uh, the peripheral? Why should Stony Creek and Ancaster pay for these? I'm like, then what? Why? Why would your why? Why pay for anything? Like, why? Why pay for? Uh, why? Why pay property tax at all? You know, why? Why pay money to go have for? Uh, your streets get plowed in a snowstorm where your streets might get plowed, but you know what? They might start downtown first. You might not get your streets plowed until, you know, long, long after you need it. So that argument just goes nowhere because I mean, you said, why are all the people in downtown Hamilton paying to support the extremely long sewers that have to be built right. into suburbs? You know, that they're not using those sewers. So why do they have to subsidize, you know, Stony Creek sewer system? Well, because that's the way government works. Right. Everybody pays into the pot. Everybody gets to take out of the pot. Um, it's a, but yeah. it's this, it's, this, it's this backward notion of this transactional form of government. Like you, you, you only get, you know, you, we should only get what we pay into, which is malarkey. Uh, you, you, you're, you're right. That's not how government works. We all pay taxes. We all pay into the pot, and then we all get a say in how it's used. But you, your argument can't be based on well. I, I don't live near I don't live near this area, so I don't want any of my money going to helping this this neighborhood. Uh, it's extremely short sighted. I, I think it's honestly just a very disingenuous um, argument to make on the part of the city councilors. Because quite frankly, you you may if you're, that's your going to be argument, I don't want to pay for it because you know it, it's not near my people. Then 
guess what? You're the neighborhoods that you're that you are in. You know, I'm thinking of uh, uh, Judy Partridge up in in Waterdown. You, you don't have a lot there. It costs a lot to send maintenance trucks out to send parks and rec trucks out. It costs a lot for city utilities to go out to your part of the city. If you're going to make that argument, well, there's, there is, there are more people in the, in the downtown core. Maybe they'll next time say, no, I don't want you to, I don't want my money to go to help you out. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's a terrible, terrible way to look at things. I mean, there are rumors that Judy Partridge is considering running for the PCs, um uh, good luck with that um she 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 was a really successful liberal candidate i gotta tell you not <laughs> i mean it was okay it was a tough election for anybody but um um i think she would have been struggling even in a better election um yeah it it's so i mean it's, it's just so infuriating people look at you know you've basically got children looking at things and looking at just the top level Mm-hmm. and refusing to look at things in any kind of depth. Now, I mean, there are arguments about LRT that are more justifiable, but not if, basically the argument is they just don't want transit. They don't want to spend anything on transit. And there's all this stuff like, well, maybe we'll have we'll have bus rapid transit. No, they vote, they'll vote against that too, because it still doesn't help them. Uh, it's in a case of, let's dive into the whole Bob Bratino uh, mess, Oh God! Here's a Bob This is just a man who's just seen an opportunity, who's bored of sitting on the back benches because he's never going to get anywhere at Ottawa. Going, hey, maybe I'll have another kick at the can in Hamilton and and try and you know what what, what have gets a me third referendum on, on LRT. Well, you know, at, at the rate that they're going, if if the city council does vote uh, to approve this uh, m- uh, memorandum of of understanding, you know, it's. Shovels are going to be in the ground. Once that happens, it's going to be real hard to to cancel this thing. Um, what I find really dis- I don't know, just disingenuous or just really shameful is Bob Bertina announced that he was not going to be running in the next election whenever that happens as the MP, liberal MP for uh, Hamilton East Stony Creek. Fair enough, that's his decision. Yeah, instead of doing what most people do is just say, okay, just gracefully walking it you know, taking your walk in the snow, walking away. He's decided he's going to spend his last few days trying to sabotage this thing, essentially, by going to the the parliamentary budget office in Ottawa and asking them to examine the numbers on on the funding promise and trying to nitpick and torpedo this thing at the at the federal level to try and cancel. I mean, $3.4 billion for your city because why? You need to prove a point that, L- that LRT sucks and your your idea was always the best one to begin with, that is just really mean. And, and his argument, I mean, his argument is that the, the, the federal government can't um, tell municipalities how money is meant to be spent. And it's like, well... Yeah, they can. I, they, they tell municipalities how to spend money every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Municipalities <laughs> are, are not... They'd have no rights... Uh, in the constant in the the you know BNA Act or the Constitution Act, they, they they're you know complete entities of the province. Um, not to mention the the city itself was asking, "Can you give us the money?" You know, the city itself was saying, "We want you to to pay for a lot of this." And basically, the federal government said, "We'll not pay for some of it. You know, basically, we're going to pay for all of it. We'll do you one better." But 
the federal government, of course, can put conditions on the money. You know, that's what they do with um, the GST, uh, GST transfer uh, or the fuel tax transfer, right? They they say yeah. no. Yeah, you're right. I was just going to mention that. The, yeah, you know, the, the, this you, you can have this for roads and stuff. It's and, for and it's for family. infrastructure. You can't use it to 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 pay your salaries or pay hire uh, you know consultants or whatnot. You've got to use it to build roads and sewers and, and you know, all that all that nitty gritty stuff that cities need to do. They can do it all the time. They do it all the time with the provinces. They, they you know, the, all the healthcare transfers. That's not just, you know, a big check that they hand over to Ontario and Quebec and Alberta and whatnot. Their money that's, you know, and a lot of time is, no, we're, you know, we want to see an accountant. We want to see receipts. Yeah, it's earmarked for, for specific uh, things. And, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, I, I, a lot of this, I suspect, is about trying to, delay and play out the clock on the basis that this is a minority government that um, could fall at any moment. Uh, and for whatever reason, two years is about the mark that people expect minority governments to, to last. I'm not sure that the NDP have the money uh, or are any position to, to want an election right I, now. I don't think sure. any federal party wants an election right now. May, if, ironically, if there's a party that would want one, it's going to be the liberals. Because um, yeah. they are riding high in the polls still, apparently, and nobody's warmed up to Aaron O'Toole or to uh, Jagmeet Singh, uh, apparently, uh, since the pandemic started. So I, I don't, I, you're right. I think uh, the, Joey Coleman actually had a good article or Twitter thread, I can't remember which, but basically outlining that we're, they're cutting, they're pl- running down the clock that if, mm-hmm. If the city council doesn't push this through, get up, get this approved, get it going, get shovels in the ground to start the project. If a federal election is called, um, that money disappears. It's off the table, you know, because there might not be, uh, or at the very least, if the liberals are reelected, which there's a possibility, you have to start again. They have to get a new a new budget cycle, a new a new pool of money, and then start, you know, earmarking it for this. It's going to be you're putting it off even further. Like it's here now. Get it done. Why it's taken this long is beyond me. I, I really don't understand how it's taken this long just to get a this memorandum of understanding. Uh, yeah, government takes an awful lot of patience, and and I guess certainly not a skill I particularly have. Um, anyway, it's a positive move, so hopefully there's that. In terms of Mr. Bratina, um, I should just point out again. I did a little, a few calculations, and worked out that. If he remains in Parliament till October, he will collect his full MP's pension. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's no... Co- well, I'm sure that's a pure coincidence. I would never accuse someone of staying in Parliament purely to collect their pension. <laughs> but uh, I don't understand why... Well, I guess I do understand why the lead, why the Prime Minister would not boot Mr. Bettina from, from the party whip and that uh, that can, you know, turn a molehill into much more of a mountain sometimes as it has in recent history. Um, however, on the other hand, I don't see the point of having this guy uh, literally firing, you know, firing torpedoes into your own party policy from your party's backbenches. Uh, it's bizarre, but, um, but there we go. It's, it's not my decision. So. <laughs> no. Anyway, let's move on to, to item number three on, on, on our list. And uh, uh, it is, um, Kind of a big deal in Burlington, I guess, um, uh, or will certainly be portrayed 
as as a big deal, and we can discuss whether it is a big deal or not. And um, uh, that is that um, there was an announcement yesterday by the government, uh, the provincial government, hand in hand with the uh, Burlington Council and the mayor, um, that uh, Burlington has been permitted to move the boundaries of its urban growth centre um, uh, to uh, away from where it's centred now, which is on downtown Burlington and the Lakeshore, and kind of move it northwards um, so that it now uh, centres on um, the Burlington GO station. Um, and uh, so the point of this, or the objective and the idea behind it, is that urban growth centres, that designation, every town has an urban growth centre. Oakville, which is the next city along the lake, um, their urban growth centre is placed exactly like that around their ghost station. And they did that because they realised that um, Oakville downtown has no major roads into it. Um, and it's, you know, it's, 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 an it's actually a surprisingly inconvenient spot to get to if you're talking about major transit centres and things like that. So urban growth centres need to have transit. Burlington's was downtown, and that was based on the John Street bus station, which has subsequently been uh, adjudged not to be a major transit hub. And it, it really is, you know, it, they call it a bus station. It, it's really a bus shelter with, with a few more buses than the rest of the town gets. Uh, so this gives the city additional power, so the argument goes, and we can have a discussion about this in a, in a second, uh, that this, this um, gives the city more power over the most sensitive part of downtown Burlington to uh, control uh, what developers can get in terms of um, height and massing and things mm -hmm. like that, and, and that we can focus on, on a more appropriate uh, location um, for like really, really, really high density uh, around the ghost station. That's the argument. I'm just putting the argument out there, and uh, you far away with your thoughts, Joe. Um, I, I don't think it'll make a much of a much of a difference at all. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, and here's the reason why. Uh, for those uh, who are listening who are not from Burlington and have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, the the Burlington ghost station. Uh, I live near, uh, close by. Uh, there are it's a mix of resident some residential neighborhoods. Think of single dwelling homes, uh, single fa you know single family homes. Uh, a few uh, low rise apartment buildings, very very few, and the rest are is industrial. Uh, the, re the rest is like you know mom, you know mom and pop shops, uh, tool and die shops, that kind of thing. Um, the the major real estate has already been bought up. Uh, by developers and is slated to be developed into high rise condominium complexes, like multi-tower units, uh, all meant to be just, you know, you, you buy, you buy a unit, you're a commuter, you can walk literally like walk onto the ghost station tracks and you're on your way to, to Toronto. I, yeah, I mean, it can be designated an urban growth center. I, I, I'm thinking from a developer standpoint, there's not really a lot to buy there. You can go out and buy some of the tool and die shops um, that those land if you want. If you want to go to talk to the owners there, you might you might find a couple they're willing to sell. Um, you can go in and look at trying to buy up the residential units to build something, but at the current market prices, good luck. Uh, you know. If you want to buy my house, I'm asking. I'm going to be asked for like you know a million five, and my house isn't that big. Uh, <laughs> um, 
you know, it, it's just, the, I don't, the market's not there to develop anything where the market is, is, and always has been is downtown. Um, now I can understand that it kind of puts a quiver in the city's, uh, or an arrow in the city's quiver to say, no, we're, you know, we're, you can't build a high rise. Um, a developer, a developer will find a way, you know, I, I don't, I don't think a developer is going to sit there and just say, oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll go where you want. The developer wants to build downtown. Why? Because they sell. Uh, it's been proven time, time again, everybody wants to live downtown. They're willing to pay, you know, big, big bucks to buy a normal size condo in the downtown core. Um, con developers are, they're, they're just, they're not going to turn away. They're just not going to turn away from that. Uh, I, well, I certainly don't think developers will stop trying to build downtown. Um, I, I have a more positive view of this, um, and, you know, maybe maybe this is um, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, sort of not much. I'm trying to think of the right phrase. It's not Munchausen syndrome by proxy, but uh, maybe I've just spent too long sticking my nose into into city stuff. I think, well, a from the start point, I think it's a better, it's a more realistic reflection of the reality of how Burlington is built. Uh, so. You can say, well, designations, you know, while we have LPAT, everything in urban planning in Ontario is too moot for my liking. Uh, uh, however, basically, the, the, the developers used to come along for any development downtown and say, well, okay, you've zoned it for 12 stories, um, but you're in an urban growth center, you're in a major transit, um, major MTSA, major transit station area. Um, then they would go to the uh, growth plan for the Greater Golden Horseshoe and talk about density targets. And so they would mention all these things. And each argument is kind of like another thing that takes the decision really away from, from the city. Because John Street is now no longer going to be an MTSA and because downtown is, uh, well, the main part of downtown, not all of it, it is no longer going to be considered part of the urban growth centre, you've taken two of those arguments away. Uh, that when things inevitably go to LPAT, as they always do, the LPAT should, in theory, say, okay, well, this, these, these are the arguments. Mm -hmm. um, now, it could still be a huge fat disaster in that, that the new urban growth center um, is, you know, right through the middle of it goes a big, ugly road, Fairview Street, um, uh, uh, big, ugly junctions. Um, there's the transit transit does center much more on there because not only, you know, Burlington's real bus station is actually um, the GO station. Uh, it could be more of a proper hub uh, for interlinking transit and perhaps it'll become that. But I think the city hopefully should now look at really making that whole neighborhood far more pedestrian-centric. Uh, pedestrian um, the development that's happened so far uh, there's a there's a very large development that um, was built right by the station um, paradigm I think it's called yep. um, uh, that you know it's meant to be mixed use but there's no there's no mixed use there it's just 100% res residential that's not what we're supposed to be building uh, I know uh, what used to be a, a, a um, garden center further down has been sold or, and the, I think there's like three towers coming there or something like that. Again, I'm not sure that what is well, zoned for mixed use is actually going to be mixed use. And that's I, don't, I don't think you need mixed use on those locations, honestly. They're, I mean, they're meant to be 
meant for younger, uh, younger, uh, urban professionals, yuppies to, uh, buy a condo. You wake up, you throw on your suit, you go down the elevator, you, you, again, you literally walk onto the, the, the train track or the train platform, tap your Presta card and you're off to work. Um, whether or not that will actually happen remains to be seen. And, and I'm, I'm talking, I'm thinking like post COVID, you know, there's a whole, there, there's a whole, there's a whole thing that's way beyond the purview of this segment that we're that talking about. I think it'd be really interesting now to take a look at how Oakville has approached this over a much longer period. And that they basically have been trying to build a new Oakville center, uh, not to replace the old one necessarily, but to um, live alongside it and to provide different things. Now, the extent to which that is actually is is actually coming to, into being or has come into being, I'm not sure. I don't know enough about it, but that's the plan. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's if you're building dormitories for people who actually spend most of their time in Toronto, that's a crying shame. Uh, I don't think. And and you know, I'm he's hoping that we're getting into kind of a post commuter world where well, far fewer people I, have to jump on the train all the time. I hope to see that. I, I do want to talk a bit about the politics behind it, though, because I thought that is. That's interesting um, because the, the, the announcement was made by Minister Steve Clark, who, who's the Minister of Municipal Affairs. Um, Jane McKenna was there, and as well as the mayor, uh, Marianne Mead Ward. Now, there was something that Marianne made in her uh, said in her her statement that you know Burlington will now have a say. You know, they they will be able to uh, have a say in how how Burlington is shaped, and it's no longer going to be the developers. Essentially, was her. I'm paraphrasing a bit. Um, I, I thought she's setting herself up for a major failure with that remark, only because the act itself indicates how little power the city actually has. They had to go to the province, spend years lobbying to uh, have Jamie McKenna lobby to the minister to change this designation so that they, you know, they don't have to have developers using this plan to be, you know, at, at El Pat. My my argument has always been they're going to use a different argument. There's the developers just use that argument because it was there. It's easy to use. Developers are smart. They have lawyers. They'll find another argument to use. Um, so to, to but to make this sound like oh we're you know Burlington now has the final say. We'll we'll get to shape how we want. No, you won't because there's still going to be high rises going up. There still there still will be plans approved. There are still you know the 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 moratorium. On development downtown still stands. Uh, you and I were talking about this. There's still there are lawsuits by developers against the city for this plan, this this uh, moratorium on on development that are now going to Elpat. They they you know the the this Burlington City Council thinks that they're playing they're 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 ahead of the ball on this. They're they're they've outsmarted the developers. I don't think they've outsmarted anyone. I think if anything they've made it. They're setting the precedent that. Developers know that we don't need to do this. They, they've, they've stripped the power themselves of being of trying to reform the system to give themselves more power. They thought that they were they were giving themselves more power. I think if anything, they just proven that they don't have any power. It's entirely at the provincial level. It's entirely the, the purview of the minister. It's entirely in the purview of Elpat. City council can bitch and moan about it all they want, but in the end, the developer is just going to sit there, go to Elpat, and make the make the case. The, they were still going to get high rises downtown. They're still, they are not going to be the twelve story zoned projects. They just won't be. the The developers will find out they'll either nickel and dime counselors. They will bombard them with 
uh, they, they will bombard them with amendments. Because this is what I would do. I just like throw amendments. Just you know everything that we want. Like we, we want 40, ta- 40 stories. We want uh, you know helicopter pads on the roof. Like you know I, I want I I want to connect the. I want to have a, a walkway connecting all these condo towers around downtown. So if you live but you know fifteen stories or above, you don't have to touch the floor, touch the street. <laughs> like I'm just throwing all this stuff and just so the city count. Because here's the thing. As we said, city council can't talk to each other, right? They can't coordinate with themselves to say, hey, how do we defeat this? They can only talk in that in that meeting. And if I was a if I was a developer, this is what I do. I just like, I don't care. Like, what are, do I care what it looks like? No. I build it, I sell my units, I walk away with a nice profit. My shareholders are happy. I'm happy. You know, I, I don't I, I, I don't care. And that's what I suspect is going to happen. The developer's just going to it's going to become nastier and, and more combative, and the city council doesn't have like they just they can't coordinate amongst themselves. Like, what's our what's our united front? And account the developers just have to pick it at that one at a time, which they don't have any power. The real power will all be always be at LPAT. I would be very strange of me to be the person on on, on this uh, on this recording who's who's less negative about LPAT than someone else because I thought I took the cake on that one <laughs> um i think well i don't think it's a magic bullet that's for sure and, and i had some problems with the with the uh, uh interim control by law because the effect has been to actually in the short term or even medium term give up the city's ability to actually sit around a council table and hash out do we like this do we not like this right. because they're saying nothing's happening and the developer says, okay, I'm appealing. We'll go to LPAT. We'll sort it out that way. And that's what happened. I mean, it's the, the first one of those has kind of come through the pipeline, which is the Amica development. Um, um, so I had my reservations about that. And I, I you know, having run in that election, I, I know I would have voted to support it because I would have been in the job for a week. And then I would have now been questioning myself. However, I do... I think the city has done what it, the only thing that was available to it to do and what it was voted in to do. Whether it works is almost a secondary issue. The LPA, I mean, I do feel that the, you know, the, we've, this council has been in for three years. There was a declaration made at the region that the LPAT should be abolished a while back. But that was like one done. That was the only comment that was made on that. I would like to see all the municipalities putting serious pressure on the government, serious pressure on potential future governments, perhaps more to the point, for LPAT reform mm-hmm. um, and, and to really put that front and center. Because you are right, until the LPAT issue is fixed, it's never going to be perfect. And, yeah, I mean, if you, if you take uh, Marianne Meadward's comment there that now we have control – it's like, no, you don't have any more control today than you did yesterday. You've just moved where you don't have control of north a bit. Right. <laughs> so for downtown, which is obviously a very sensitive, a hugely sensitive subject for a lot of people, you've you've said, okay, we'll trade you this bit of Burlington for this bit of Burlington. Um, and, and I would say that that's okay, but it doesn't give you any more control. It's just swapped where you, where you arguably have a little bit of additional control. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and none of this, I mean, we were discussing this offline the other day, and none of this gets to the issue that when we talk about urban planning, municipal governments in Canada, and probably anywhere in North America, don't really plan per se 
they, they, they kind of pencil in the outlines of what might be possible. That's what an official plan is. It's like, okay, this is what we're thinking. Something roughly this size could go in this box, something roughly. There's no vision there. There's no, um, yeah, there is, there is no real, and they don't have the power to really do anything in a really visionary way. I mean, they can lay out streets and they can put in street furniture and choose the signs and things like that to fit what they hope will come. But if a developer comes forward and says, I want to build, uh, I don't know, something completely contrary to the kind of vision that the city has, they have no control over that. And that that's what will be built if the LPAT says so. Uh, and the LPAT has no interest in, in the look of things. There's no interest in architectural mm -hmm. merit or the, or the individuality of the town or anything like that. They're like, how many people live in it? Does it fit within what the uh, uh, the growth plan says? Yes, yes. Okay, tick. Go away and build. Uh, and that ultimately, for me, is the the biggest the bigger problem in this whole picture that we can't plan in the sense that most human beings think of planning of saying this is what our city will look like when we're done, and it will be great because and you know, this thing is something that really suits Burlington, whereas Oakville might do something different, and Mississauga right. might do something different. You can't do that. Every city is the same because the developers say, okay, this is what's going to make me the most profit. Can I build it? Yes, I can. End of story. Uh, and that's kind of the much bigger picture of the whole thing ultimately. Uh, but that said, if I was sitting on council right now, I would be printing up my leaflets right now and saying this is a huge victory, and I, I get that. Um, I, I, I know they're going to say that's what everybody – I mean, everybody's saying that. I find it, I find it interesting that Lisa Kearns uh, is now saying how great Steve Clark – is as minister when just a few weeks ago she was campaigning to run for the liberal uh, nomination in in Burlington. And that that's what I get is the this and from a political standpoint I find it it's interesting because they've really cut off their legs here. Uh, they're tying themselves directly to a very unpopular government <laughs> provincially, where uh, chances are they will either be defeated or reelected under really sketchy circumstances that people are going to be very upset with, um, which in my mind is going to limit their, the, the city count, this mayor and some councilors who want to side with uh, the, the government limit their ability to, to do things. Um, the only person who I think walks away with any, any shred of victory on this is honestly Jane McKenna. Uh, Cause she looks like somebody who got this done. Uh, she might win her seat back. Uh, my thinking is she'll probably will win Burlington again, but she'll be a, once again a backbencher in the opposition come next election. That's just my early prediction. Um, it's a it's a discussion for another day. Yeah. And you know what? I mean the sad the sad thing for me always is, and I can never resist mentioning it. It will be decided by by the NDP and the Liberals uh, and whether people can jump into one uh, bracket or the other one. Uh, and I'm not telling people which bracket is the best bracket. But if, if progressives go to one way or the other way, then Jane McKenna will lose. And if they split the vote, Jane McKenna will win. Um, that's kind of how it works. But uh, mm -hmm. that's another issue. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's strange that Jane McKenna uh, attended the groundbreaking of the Carriage Gate building downtown on Brand Street right opposite City Hall, which is the most controversial building ever built in the history of Burlington, and widely loathed by approximately 90% of people who live mm. anywhere close to it. 
Um, she attended the groundbreaking knowing that, knowing that there was a municipal election basically about that, ultimately about that development, because that was what kicked everything off. Um, she kind of said, screw you, um, I'm going to side with the developers. Uh, and now we have her being the, the white knight to save everything. Well, we'll leave it to others to decide whether that's um, uh, merited or not. Uh, and, and to what degree, when the mayor was negotiating with the province, she was negotiating with the MPP or directly with the ministry. All right. Well, on that note, let's bring this episode to a close because I think people are done listening to us uh, <laughs> for this week. Uh, I'm going to say thank you, everyone, for listening to our 80th episode. Wow, 80. That's a big number. I know. Wow. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to us uh, all this time so far. Uh, we will see you on the next 80 for sure. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Cheers. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.